Alright, you ready for the word today? Patrick is. What about the rest of us? We ready for the word? We've got to be careful with winter that it doesn't dampen our spirit as in how excited we are for God. Because, you know, you walk into the place and, oh, it's freezing. And some of us handle the cold worse than others. But I want to encourage you, stay hot for God. Amen? So be responsive. Don't be sitting there quiet because it makes me think I'm putting you to sleep. And I don't want that to happen. But be responsive. Come ready and expectant. Because the same God that moved in summer <laughs> is going to move in winter. Amen? I know it gets cold. I feel it too. But I'm here. And I wanted to see something from God today. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. One person again. That's good. good. We're on fire today. All right. Let's get into God's Word. The simple truth. We've been going through and journeying through the book of Romans. And I think that's a brilliant book to look at because there's so many great foundations and principles that we can learn to live the Christian life. And we're up to uh, chapter 3, which places us in part 2 of the book of Romans, which is God's forgiveness how many of you need God for God's forgiveness? That should be all of us. We all need to be forgiven. We're all sinful by nature. And uh, that's what we're going to be honing in on as we look uh, through chapters 3 to 5. And so today's um, chapter is 3, In Search of Righteousness. And uh, we're going to get straight into it. So let's get started. Uh, in, um, in everyday life, and especially in winter when it's cold and we're not thinking straight, <laughs> We can forget the enormity of the universe and God's creation. Who's ever seen, um, some of you might have seen it, Louis Giglio's talk on how big the universe is. And, you know, if I was a golf ball, he would say, and there'd be like a billion golf balls to fill the sun. So I can't remember the figures, but it gave you perspective on how massive and huge the universe is. But, but in our forgetfulness sometimes, the busyness of life, doing what we do, we can forget the one who created it all. Sometimes we're just in a hurry or life's busy and full and we stop to pause, we, we, we forget to stop and pause and reflect on, wow, isn't this beautiful? Like it's freezing outside, but how good does frost look really? It's, it's beautiful when you see it. It's cold, you don't want to touch it, you watch it from a heated room or something. But, but the frost looks amazing. Well, in November um, of 1995, Time magazine gave a stunning display of activity in the Eagle Nebula. Who's heard of that? We're just, we're just checking who does their science and stuff now and knows their galaxies and all sorts of stuff. So, so I've got it here, I think. The, the picture doesn't do it justice, but isn't it beautiful? Like if you saw, saw imagine, imagine lying on your grass, not, not the frosty grass, a hot summer now, and we're looking up at a black sky and you see something like that. And you just go, wow. God's creation is amazing. Well, in the same way that we sometimes forget to remember our great God who made everything in the midst of busyness. Well, in a similar way, the Jews, in the everydayness of their religion, which is what they lived, they got caught up in the activities of religion while the wonder, the grace, the beauty of the relationship with God got pushed aside. Somewhere in their distant past, they chose outward ritual over a personal relationship with their God. So Judaism became a religion of law, and it was void of God's grace. They thought of God as only their God, not the God of the whole world. 
Aren't you glad he's the God of the whole world? I'm so glad we get to share the good news of Jesus with everyone because for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever, that means everyone in the world gets an opportunity to believe in him. And I'm so glad we have a God that's not exclusive to a certain group, but available to everybody. So let's get into it. Let's read verses 1 to 2 of Romans chapter 3, and then we'll continue on from there. So what advantage then has the Jew? So, so remember in chapter 1 and 2, he's talked about you know circumcision, uncircumcision, following the law, having your hearts converted. And, and, and so he's sort of, if you took a certain perspective, you think he was putting Jews down. He wasn't. But the Jews took offence to the way he was talking. So then he answers the question, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Why be Jewish, is, is what he's saying. But then he says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul once limited, was once limited by his Jewish outlook. But he knew his Jewish readers would ask this question because of the line of conversation he's been taking through the book of Romans. He knew they'd probably ask this question. Well, why bother with it all then? Why be Roman? Why have law of Roman? Why be Jewish? Why have uh, the law? Why have the Torah? You know, it would have been a valid question to raise after reading what Paul had written uh, in the first two chapters. You know, if the Jews and Gentiles stood on a level playing field, then what advantage was it to be a Jew? So Paul's response was a positive one, much in every way. In Paul's view, being the appointed guardians of God's word, which is what the Jewish people were, was the chief advantage of being a Jew. They had been entrusted something that they could have done such powerful things with, but they chose to go for outward ritual as opposed to personal relationship. They could know the will of God if they delved into the word that was entrusted to them, because they had access to God uh, whose will it was for them to be in relationship with him. It just didn't go in that direction. Verses 3 and 4 continue and say, For what, uh, what, if, uh, what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And I love the strong answer again. Certainly not. See, in chapter 2, Paul pointed out that though all Jews were circumcised outwardly, only some had circumcised hearts, as in they'd had true conversion from the inside out. So in other words, only some of the Jews were faithful to God. And upon hearing this, a Jew, well, they might ask, so does that mean God was unfaithful to the Jews who were not faithful? Another question. Uh, Paul's answer is one of the strongest expressions used in the New Testament to express disagreement. Certainly not. That's, that's pretty strong, isn't it? doesn't give room for interpretation. It's just, certainly not. In the King James Version of the Bible, uh, this phrase means, God forbid. So it's strong. So what Paul is saying is that if a certain Jew is not faithful to God, that's not God's fault. They've made a choice. God never stopped being faithful. He never stops being faithful. We walk away because life gets tough. Things are difficult. This is all, you know, where's God in the midst of all this? I'm out. We make that choice. God is always faithful. And he never stops being faithful. 
Choosing not to follow God is the fault of the person who makes the choice. We can't blame God for that one. We try to. A true faith is dependent on a true interpretation of the word. Do you agree? No, nobody, nobody agrees. True faith is when we interpret the word correctly. The Jews' faithfulness, whatever degree of faithfulness that they had, to the old covenant tended to lead them into further unbelief in Christ because they were so bound up in the old law. It was all about this. So much so that when Jesus came and was right in front of their very eyes, they didn't acknowledge him or recognise him for who he was. This is also true in our Christian faith today, though. You know, a wrong interpretation of Scripture, and it happens a lot, leads people down a blind alley, like a bad path. And all it takes is one Scripture. This is what tends to happen in the world. People will grab onto one verse and make it whatever they want to make it, rather than read it in the context of which it was written. Have you noticed that? Different faiths, different belief systems are generally centred and focused off a single solitary scripture here and there and chop and change. Let's pick out what suits our agenda. Rather than reading the scripture in context. That's why I like going through these books with you from start to finish. Because there's no room for misinterpretation. If there is, I'll know, just throw stuff at me. The anti-communion things, whatever. Dodgy doctrine, throw it. But, but when you read it from start to finish, you, you generally follow the right context. It's like a worldly book. You don't, well, Anita's not here, I can say this. She, she'll go to the back and read the end so that she knows what's going to happen. She can't handle the suspense. Do you do that too? You're giggling nervously over there. No? Yeah, I know. But she does it because then when she reads the book, she's more settled. But like, especially if it's like a you know bit of action or whatever. But, but if she didn't read the end, she could do a lapse around the house and really nervous and oh, what's going to happen and freaking out. So, but you don't do that, do you? That's not normal. Not everyone does that. Maybe that's just an Anita thing. Go to the end first. You've done that. Okay. There's another person admitting. Anyone else? We can pray right now. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that. You don't go and just take one page of a book and go, yeah, well, that's what it is. You read it from start to finish. So why should it be any different with our Bible? We don't want to do wrong interpretation because a wrong interpretation of Scripture leads people down the wrong path. But we need to handle God's Word with great care and with prayer. Amen? Let's go to verse, the rest of verse 4 says this. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Paul says, if ever there is wickedness, it does not come from God. God always proves true his promises to prove his point. Paul quotes from a psalm. I've got the psalm on the screen. David confesses his sin in this psalm. Let's have a look at that. To understand this quote, we've got to look at the whole verse 3, 4, 5. It says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin 
my mother conceived me. See, David came face to face with his own sin. And I think what Paul was hoping was that the Jews would do the same thing. Paul faced his sin, and we're going to see an account of this later uh, on the screen. Uh, on, on the road to Damascus, he was commissioned by the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem to go to Damascus and round up the pesky little Christians there. And, and they were to be imprisoned and await sentencing in Jerusalem. So near Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul, who was then known as Saul, and asked why Paul was persecuting him. And Paul was confronted with the terrible mistakes of his past. And the experience dramatically changed his life forever. And so from that moment on, Paul was a missionary for Jesus. We've all had our road to Damascus experience. It might not have matched what happened to Paul. But we've all had that experience, I hope, where we've allowed Jesus to come in and shake us up, maybe even rattle us a little bit, deal with the mistakes of our past, so that we can then move on and be disciples of Christ and sharing the good news with others. So I want to encourage you as I go through the rest of this today, and we're going to watch the account. I want you to firstly think back to your account with Christ. If you haven't had one yet, you could have it today. That's how real he is. He's here now. He wants to meet with you. But if you have, think about when your conversion happened. And then ask the Holy Spirit, we sung it this morning, to move again. Because <coughs> we, we, we get caught in the spirit of familiarity. You know, you might have been a Christian since the days of Noah, I don't know. And, and it's just all the same. Oh, I've been there and done that. And yeah, I've seen that move of God and this happened and that. Well, God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Will you not see? He wants to move in power in this place, in your heart. But can we deal with that spirit of familiarity and go, oh, yeah, it's just Pastor Jeremy trying to ham it up a bit. No, it's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with what God wants to do in you. I can't make it happen. I'm no magician. I don't have the right words. I'm just a person just like you who has the office of pastor to care for you, but it doesn't make me any stronger or more powerful or better than any of you. We're all people, and, and the move of the Holy Spirit relies on us being hungry, all of us. And so I want to encourage you, be hungry. Be hungry and be thirsty, because if you are, God will come and fill to overflowing in Jesus' name. All right, verses 5 to 8. Let's keep going. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. There's another one. Certainly not. We'll explain it in a minute. For then how will God judge the world? For the tr if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, this condemnation is just. It's easy to get lost in all the big words, but I'll just summarise it for you. It's a dumb question. <laughs> it's a dumb question that's being asked here. Teachers often encourage their students. My dad always used to say this as well. There are no dumb questions, only silly answers. That's what my dad would say. Only silly answers. No dumb questions. 
But Paul had to draw the line somewhere. And the question Paul is addressing might be rephrased to read something like this. Now, when I read it like this, you'll go, oh, that is dumb. If the darkness of my sin makes the brightness of God's holiness a little brighter, then shouldn't I sin all the more? Because the more I sin, the more God is brighter. So am I not glorifying God when I sin? <sighs> Dumb question. Dumb question. The ridiculousness of such a question is self-evident. I'm pretty sure you don't need me to explain it, but let's just go there for a second. In case you didn't notice, God's holiness cannot be brightened. It would be like trying to make completeness more complete. Perfection more perfect, wholeness more whole. You can't do that, can you? The Word of God becomes active when grasped by faith. Not grasped by doing the wrong thing so that God be glorified. Oh my goodness. Paul answers the question by drawing from the nature and the attributes of God himself. Because God will judge the world. That's going to happen. He cannot be unjust. So he can't allow us or encourage us to do the wrong thing because that's just a mixed message, isn't it? It's only... It's, sin never brings glory to God. It allows God to come in and save you, but it doesn't bring him glory when you do the wrong thing. If anything, it's like a slap in the face to God. The people that live life and go... Well, I'm just going to do the wrong thing because I'll go to church on Sunday and God will forgive me. Well, God will forgive you. But have you been transformed from the inside out? Are you just now living ritual? Are you any better than the, the Jewish leaders of the day of Christ? Not really. If it's all just for show and I come to church and I ask for forgiveness and God forgives me and then I go out and have a week of living it up again, it's all right because God will forgive me. You haven't been transformed from the inside out. When you've had an encounter with Jesus, and again, we're going to see this encounter of Paul uh, on the road to Damascus. There's something powerful when you see it with your eyes. We read it, but I think when you see it, oh, there's something really powerful about wow. And you're going to see it in just a moment. But honestly, if you've encountered Christ, you are transformed. If you've had a true encounter, you are transformed from the inside out. And that desire... To sin, we're not made perfect. We're still going to muck up. But the desire shifts. And all of a sudden, it's not about living for my own worldly pleasures anymore and my own personal satisfaction and, and what makes me feel good. I live life according to what honours God. Because I want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. So, who, who's the better sinner? Well, Paul addressed questions that he knew would surface from either the Jews or the Greeks. They would probably start going against each other. These are sensitive topics due to cultural differences of the day. And even today, I mean, we've got a room now filled with many different cultures. You know, in some cultures... Things are seen as bad, whereas in other cultures we wouldn't think twice about it. So there's, that cross-cultural divide can be challenging at times as well. Paul's trying throughout this entire epistle to neutralise any ethnical division. 
He doesn't want division based on race, where you're from, your culture. It is sin that keeps us from God, not our race. It is sin. Paul also points out that sinfulness is something we all have in common. So we're brothers. We're sisters. Why? Because we're all sinful. So you might be extremely different from the person sitting on the other side of the room, but there's guaranteed one thing you've got in common. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We are all sinners. Sin is very real. It is continuously present because of our fallen nature and Satan's activity. And the law can diagnose our sinfulness when we compare our lives against the law. And moral and the moral illness that that can produce is, is pretty huge. But it has no power to cure it. The law can point out your faults and the mistakes and the things that you're doing. But the law has no answer as to how to fix that situation. If we try and use the law to help fix us, it just makes us more miserable. Because for every law you look at that you've broken, there'll be six others. <laughs> oh, I did that too. You know, we want to escape the law and its clutches, but apart from intervening grace of God, we can't. We need God. We need Christ who came to die for us. We lack the power to make the escape. We can't do it in our own strength. In, in the final analysis, there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all sinners. We all are in need of salvation. However, it was through the Jews that God sent the Messiah. Through the Jewish race, he brought forth the Saviour for the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. So I can kind of see, it's, I guess it's almost even sympathised with the Jews, they had a bit of a power complex because Jesus came through there. So, oh, you know, <laughs> I can understand that perspective. But the true leveller is we're all sinners. It doesn't matter where Jesus came from. He's God's son. It doesn't matter what line of people he came through. We're all sinners and we all need forgiveness of sin. Romans 3, 10 to 18, and then I'm going to bring it to a close by looking at this video of um, the encounter of Paul. So it says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, not even a Jew. <laughs> there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who feels encouraged that week? <laughs> this is Paul the Bible uh, thumper. Let's have a look at this.
to God and the temple, not your Jesus. Take him away.
to the street called Straight. Asked for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. But I know the harm that this man has done to your people in Jerusalem. He is my chosen instrument. He will proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Thank you. 
You have the blood of those who chose Jesus on your hands. You're right. You're right. And I hope that all the people I persecuted they can find it in their hearts to forgive me. I'm not the same man you once had reason to hate. I was blind. And now I see. Barnabas. Saul wants to be baptized. To accept Jesus. How can we deny him that? Think back to that time, and I want you to ask God for more. I want you to ask for more, believe for more, because a time is coming where there won't be opportunity to share Christ anymore. The Bible talks about that time. So while we're here, we need to occupy, we need to share the good news while there's still time. And I'm sure we all have people in our world that we don't want to miss out, right? So we need God to give us that boldness to stir that flame, that fire within us again. That we would see the Holy Spirit move again in and through us in a powerful way. Would you stand to your feet with me as we come to a close this morning? If that's you and you're in the room and you want to respond to the call of God, you want God to use you to reach this community to reach this generation, just lift up your hands because I'm going to believe for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you and to give you everything that you need to fan that flame, that passion, that desire again to see people come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and to say yes to him. So Father God, your church, you see many hands raised, many hearts turned towards heaven in this moment. I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice, God, that you would fill them with power, 
Fill them with boldness. Fill them with courage to share the good news of Jesus in a world that is lost, broken and hurting. God, give us wisdom and help us to come across the right opportunities to be used by you. Help us to be willing. Help us to say, yes, God, use me. Fill me with power that I may be a blessing to others. So, Lord, we commit each person to you. Lord, that you would continue to bring divine appointments across our path so that we could make you known, whether that's through our words, whether that's through our actions. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. One last thing before we close. I always like to invite people to say yes to Jesus. If you're in the room and you need to surrender your life afresh to Christ, <coughs> this is a great opportunity for you. So again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if that's you, would you respond today? Would you say, Jesus, I need more of you. I need to surrender my life afresh to you. If that's you, God's looking for a response. God's looking for a response. So why don't you just lift up your hand and say, Jesus, I need you. And we're going to pray together as a church because we all need more of him. Amen. 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 If you're responding today, particularly, I want you to say this prayer after me. But everyone can pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died on a cross for me. You conquered sin and death for me. I can now live a life that is free from condemnation, free from the bondage of sin because of you. And so I call you my Lord and I make a decision today to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God glory and praise for His worthy. God loves it when we respond to Him. And so may we this week live our lives in a response to all that He has done and all that He's going to do. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And may we see people come to know Him in a powerful way. Amen.